Hello and welcome to Walking the Walk, Open City's sustainable urbanism-themed audio tour of Westminster and Marylebone. My name is Poppy Waring and I produce the Open City podcast. This tour has been designed as an audio companion to your walk or cycle around London today. But you can also listen and enjoy this tour at home or wherever you may be. As the climate crisis intensifies and its impacts are increasingly being experienced by urban populations around the world, it is more important than ever that we fully address the resilience and sustainability of our towns and cities. This tour, which takes you from Marylebone Road to Regent Street, focuses on key themes surrounding urban sustainability through explorations of various interventions along the way. There are 10 listening points on this guide, the first of which is on the corner of Marylebone Road and Luxborough Street. If you lose your way on the tour, you can find each listening point in the episode description below and a full map where you found Walking the Walk on the Open City website. Leading this tour is Andrew Smith, Professor of Urban Experiences at the University of Westminster. Here he is to tell you a bit more about the route he has curated today. Given the climate and biodiversity crises we currently face, there's an urgent need to make our urban environments more sustainable. So we wanted to put together a walking tour, effectively to try and raise awareness of key issues and to highlight ways that cities can be redesigned to prioritise sustainability principles. You might be aware that the UN has various sustainable development goals, and this tour has been particularly aligned to one of those goals. So the idea is to try and highlight issues regarding the inclusivity, resilience and safety of cities. And that's very much in line with Sustainable Development Goal 11. The route of the tour um, follows a route between two of the University of Westminster's central London campuses. So we start at Marylebone Road and we finish on Regent Street. And what we wanted to do was try and use sites located between those two campuses to try and highlight a range of issues that would help people to understand what sustainable urbanism is and what some of the things we need to do to our cities to help achieve it. The tour also showcases the research expertise of members of the University of Westminster's Sustainable Cities and the Urban Environment Research Community. And so a lot of the themes that we cover on the tour, for example, air pollution and active travel, These are fields in which the university offers considerable expertise. Stop 1, Marylebone Road Monitoring Station. The theme at this stop is air pollution. Near the corner of Marylebone Road and Luxborough Street, you will spot a small building clad in wooden panelling. This is where we'll start the tour. So the building you'll see here is a relatively innocuous structure but it actually serves a really important purpose. So according to the Greater London Authority, this is the most sophisticated air quality monitoring station in Europe. So ever since this facility opened in 1997, it's been fundamental in terms of advancing our understanding of air pollution levels in the UK. So the facility was actually enlarged in 2011, and now it's got lots of sensitive monitoring equipment on the roof, and you can see some of that equipment if you go to the upper floors of the University of Westminster's Marylebone Road building. 
one interesting thing about this um, monitoring station is that the data it produces is publicly available. So you can go on the website and have a look at the latest sort of pollution data or the latest um, air uh, emissions data. So and what we know is that this is a really notoriously polluted space. That's one of the reasons that this facility is located here. So what we've got on Marylebone Road are six lanes of often stationary traffic. And that traffic is hemmed in by um, relatively tall buildings on either side of the road. So we've got a bit of a canyon effect happening here. And so Marylebone Road highlights um, London's persistently poor air quality and the effects it has on human health. So the most problematic pollutants are particulate matter and nitrous oxide. So these pollutants affect lung function and they cause thousands of premature deaths in London every year. Stop to Paddington Street Gardens Public Toilets. The theme here is inclusive cities. Walk down Luxborough Street until you reach the junction with Paddington Street. Here you'll find some public toilets tucked away next to the entrance of the park. So you might think this is quite an unusual stop for a, a walking tour. Um, when I showed this tour to my daughter, she was mildly horrified that we'd included like public toilets as part of the tour. But actually, I think they're are facilities that are sometimes neglected and underestimated. They're really important facilities that help to make our cities more inclusive because they're facilities that are really valued by certain parts of the population, particularly vulnerable and elderly people. They're seen as sort of um, essential things that people need in order to be able to use our urban environments. So we know that there are people who don't use... Um, city centres or other parts of cities because they are worried about where they're going to go to the toilet. So it sounds like a relatively sort of niche issue, but actually it's a very fundamental issue and one which is probably getting worse. So actually provision in London is now quite poor, whereas in the past London was seen as you know, a pioneer place where, you know, which almost invented the, the public um, convenience. Um, so a lot of those original uh, facilities which were built in the, in the 19th century have now been converted you know the underground facilities you might be familiar with and they're now they've now been turned into various wine bars cafes boutiques so we're left with a relatively meager set of facilities and even when we do get public toilets provided they tend to reflect and reinforce binary notions of gender but they also neglect the needs of women um, by failing to provide menstruation products and other sort of key facilities and services so we need more public toilets but obviously it's difficult to maintain them and there are various reasons why and um, local authorities are now closing them so mainly to do with funding but also sometimes to do with antisocial behavior and it's almost easier not to um, to provide them um, so if you want to go in these inside this particular example of a, a public convenience it's really interesting because a there are interesting tiles and attractive tiles inside and they're depicting local scenes. So there's some sort of um, interesting artwork in the, um, in the toilets. But these toilets are really notable because they are very well maintained and they offer various facilities, not just standard toilets, but also provision for people with disabilities and a parent care area. 
Stop three, Paddington Street Gardens. The theme here is urban green spaces. Enter the gardens using the entrance next to the toilet block. So these gardens are really interesting for various different reasons. Um, One is that they were laid out by the UK's first professional female landscape designer. So they've been open to the public since 1885. You probably can tell if you look around the gardens that their previously or their previous use was um, as a graveyard. Um, So it's uh, quite a common example actually in London of where you've actually got a a burial space that's been converted into a a public green space and this part of London isn't particularly well served with urban green spaces so this space is particularly um, important and urban green spaces are really important generally for various social and ecological reasons so we know that uh, using urban green spaces can improve people's mental and physical health It's good for people to connect with nature. They provide various forms of relief. They're places to socialise. They're places where people can exercise. So, you know, healthy urban living needs open spaces, needs ideally sort of open green spaces. And we know that urban green spaces have lots of ecological benefits too. So things like flood alleviation, biodiversity gains, cooling cities, enhancing the air quality in our cities, absorbing noise. So these green spaces um, serve lots of really important functions and it's really important that we not only maintain the ones that we've got but that we try and expand the amount of green space we have in, in cities like London. So I don't know what time of day you're um, enjoying the tour, but at lunchtime, this space tends to be really heavily used. Um, The benches here are full of people having their lunch, and that highlights the lack of alternative spaces that serve that function in this part of London. And what you've got here is a very typical portfolio of park amenities. So you've got a playground in the southern part of the park, you've got a flower garden in the north part of the the gardens and you've also got a large sort of lawned area so that's a sort of very traditional UK sort of park portfolio but there's some quite interesting additional social facilities here so you can see table tennis tables lots of benches uh, covered pavilions so also like innocuous facilities but ones that really help this um, space to be one which encourages people to not just go there but to meet and to interact and socialise and we know there are lots of benefits both on an individual and a societal level from people engaging with each other. Again, we, if we think about ecology, this isn't necessarily the perfect example of how a, a park or a gardens could be um, managed or designed to prioritise that. So again, in the future, um, the organisation responsible for managing this space, which is the City of Westminster Council, they might need to think about how they prioritise ecological um, gains here or how this space might actually um, help to benefit um, biodiversity and address some of the, the problems with climate change and other acute environmental issues. Stop four, Marylebone High Street. The theme here is rain gardens and climate resilience. Leave the gardens via the gate at the south. Follow Moxon Street until you reach Marylebone High Street. This is a really interesting street, Marylebone High Street, because um, it's one of the most attractive high streets in London, really. It's a a place of consumption. It's a place where there's lots of fancy shops. Um, So you wouldn't think of it as being a particularly good example of sustainable urbanism. But there's been some really interesting improvements made here in recent years. So in 2016, it was made uh, a low emissions neighbourhood. 
and then various rain gardens were added along the street in 2019. So they're sometimes called sustainable urban drainage systems, but we're using the, the term rain gardens here. So there's some of these rain gardens all the way down this high street. Um, the ones that are part of the tour are the ones um, located at the um, intersection of Marylebone High Street and New Cavendish Street. So we know that because of climate change, we're getting more frequent and more extreme weather events. So the idea of these rain gardens is that they manage the um, excess um, rainwater. And obviously, we've got lots of hard surfaces in cities, and these provide a degree of uh, protection and a way of alleviating um, the risk of flooding. So they're going to be a really important part of the way in which we sort of deal with a, a changing climate. And if you look inside some of these rain gardens, the, the water that um, builds up here, it doesn't necessarily sort of um, dissipate through the soil because London is famously built on clay and therefore a lot of the surfaces are in, in, impermeable. And there are a lot of basement structures under high streets like Marylebone High Street. So again, it's difficult to allow natural infiltra infiltration. So what happens here is the excess water that collects here is effectively then channeled via pipes to sewers. It's a bit like a sink with a plug. There's a sort of uh, there's a hole in the ground effectively where the water is is taken away. So there are various advantages of these rain gardens, not just uh, flood alleviation, but obviously making high streets or streets in general more attractive places to be. So they improve street aesthetics, um, but they also increase local biodiversity because we've got lots of small trees, bushes, grasses, other herbaceous perennials and planted here. So again, they're both a sort of a little mini green space as well as providing uh, a sort of piece of infrastructure, a piece of engineering that allows um, our streets to, to cope better with extreme weather events. Stop 5, Manchester Square. Theme, accessible and convivial public spaces. Continue down Marylebone High Street until you reach George Street. Turn right and walk a short distance down George Street until you reach Spanish Place. At the end of the street is Manchester Square. So this square is a really attractive Georgian square, um, but it does exemplify some concerns about the accessibility and the exclusivity of public spaces in, in London. So there's a bit of an interesting juxtaposition here because we've got a private um, house, the Wallace Collection, which is an, an art gallery, which was previously a private house, but which is now publicly accessible. And actually, it's a free gallery, and a lot of people don't realise it's free, and I don't think a lot of people even know it exists, but it's a wonderful um, gallery that you can go in for free. And also, it's a wonderful chance to go inside a very grand townhouse in London. So we've got that on one side of the square, but then the square itself looks like the sort of space we should be able to get into. But actually, it's a space which is um, only accessible if you've got a key. So it's a typical garden square in London, whereby it's only people who um, live in close proximity to this space that get a chance to, to use it. So this is a bit of a reminder that... Um, Sustainability doesn't just refer to various environmental issues. It also refers to making um, cities more livable. And part of that is about protecting people's right to the city. So we do need to think about how accessible um, our urban spaces are. And this is a good example of a space that could be accessible, but isn't. 
So you could argue that maybe that's a good thing in that the, the nature that exists here is sort of more protected because the public can't get in and there's a more limited set of users. So there is an ecological role played by the square and it's a nice, peaceful place, um, which is a nice exception, I suppose, to the busy streets that surround Manchester Square. We've got Oxford Street to the south and Baker Street to the west. So this is a very busy part of London and this sort of this square provides a degree of respite from that. But again, we do need to think about how accessible and usable it is and whether we're really making the most of this space. And interestingly, at the moment, there are plans to pedestrianise the north side of the square, so that the road to the, to the north, in a, in a similar way that Trafalgar Square was redesigned in the late 1990s. So you might remember that previously Trafalgar Square was almost like a roundabout. There was traffic all the way around it, but they closed off the street that connected the square to the National Gallery and again you've got a very similar space here where we could actually connect the gallery to the, the public space so as well as making the public space more accessible we can think about making that road space into a, a less car orientated space and one which is more um, yeah which is which can be used by pedestrians and which um, creates a more sort of convivial space that citizens could enjoy. So there are lots of examples happening across London whereby we're trying to repurpose roads and think about do we need all these roads and could some of them be converted either temporarily or permanently to more people-orientated spaces and hopefully that's exactly what Manchester Square might be like in, in the future. Stop 6, Hind Street. Theme, cycling and active travel. Leave Manchester Square to the east via Hind Street. A short distance along this street, you'll come across a bike hire station. So here we've got a Santander-sponsored bike hire um, scheme. So this is where you can pick up a bike and cycle across the city. So this scheme was introduced in 2010, and in the intervening years, not just because of this scheme, but partly because of this scheme, the numbers of people cycling in London has increased significantly. So if we just take the number of Londoners cycling to work as an example, we know that recent data suggests that that increased by, or the numbers of people cycling to work in London increased by 20% between 2011 and 2021. So that's a real success story. Again, if you were in London 15, 20 years ago, cycling was not a particularly common activity. Um, but today, if you... Um, go for some of the bridges in London at uh, sort of rush hour. The, there are literally hordes of cyclists coming into London from um, the periphery. And again, that's a fantastic um, but relatively recent trend. So bike hire is obviously changing in London. We now have various schemes that don't have um, physical infrastructure where you can pick up bikes without having a, a sort of bike station. Um, and obviously there are electric bikes now which are available to hire as well and they offer a healthy and, and low carbon alternative to other forms of motorised transport. We can't um, be too complacent though because central London remains a really challenging place to cycle. So the lack of bike lanes and lots of dangerous junction mean it's still a relatively um, dangerous activity. So there are various hotspots including one which is not far away from the tour route the crossing between New Cavendish Street and Regent Street is a, is a known hotspot for accidents and there are other hotspots in this vicinity too. 
So this part of London uh, in Marylebone is it's unusual. It's got this grid layout, lots of one-way streets, which is not particularly common in the UK, very common in other cities across the world, particularly in the US. But it sometimes makes Marylebone a very confusing and frustrating place to cycle. So we do need to think about how cities are designed and managed in ways that make it both easier and safer to cycle. And I know a lot of um, friends and colleagues who cycle constantly moan about the lack of parking provision, for example. So even though if we, even if we make the streets more conducive to cycling, we also need to think about some of that infrastructure we need to support cycling. So that's um, both in the workplaces, but also thinking about on-street and parking. Again, we shouldn't forget about other forms of active travel. So um, we've been talking about cycling, but actually there are other forms of active travel that are also really beneficial because they um, promote healthy living and also help to um, de-emphasise um, motorised transport and all the emissions that go with motorised transport. So the most obvious one is walking. And trying to make London more walkable is an ongoing project. So we've had lots of interesting initiatives, including really nice footways maps that have been published now, which highlight the best ways to go between different points in London by foot. So the, 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 the routes that maybe are not the most efficient, but where you can walk down streets, which are more enjoyable to, um, to traverse by foot. Stop seven, Marylebone Lane. The theme here is water and rivers. Walk back along Hind Street towards Marylebone High Street. Cross the street and continue along Hind Street until you reach Marylebone Lane. You might be surprised to see a stop about rivers in a part of London where there aren't really any visible waterways. But this is a really interesting part of London. So Marylebone Lane is a really interesting deviation from the grid layout that dominates uh, a large part of Marylebone. And it's quite interesting to think about why um, this street is sort of shaped in this organic way. And the reason for that is because it follows the path of what used to be the Tyburn River. So the name Marylebone actually comes from St Mary by the Bourne. Um, so obviously that's uh, a reference to this watercourse. So the Tyburn River the Bourne is now um, effectively a sewer and flows completely underground through conduits. So actually still, I mean, there are various debates about where this river is now and at what point it sort of um, crosses beneath various parts of London, but we think it effectively runs beneath Regent's Park and near to Buckingham Palace and it meets the Thames uh, around Pimlico. You can't really see this river anymore. Um, but obviously the topography of the urban area here still reflects the fact that this is a river channel. So there is a channeling of rainwater. You'll see this when, it, when there's heavy rain in London. The rainwater is channeled along this course um, actually to Green Park. And there is some um, evidence of that that naturally protects surrounding areas from flooding. And the reason we're sort of um, using this as an example is because uh, it reminds us of the importance of sustaining um, not just uh, above ground environments but subterranean environments and waterways because these obviously support life in the city so subterranean environments are threatened by lots of um, interventions and excavations so we're constantly digging out basements and um, installing new tunnels and subterranean infrastructure 
And although that obviously helps um, the city to function to some extent, it does increase um, the risk of flooding and there's a risk of, of contamination. There's also a risk that it undermines the integrity of some of the built, built structures above ground too. So and when we're walking around the city, we should almost be reminded of the fact that there's a lot of things happening beneath our feet and we need to make sure that um, that environment is also managed in a sustainable way. Stop eight, Wigmore Place. The theme here is biodiversity and pollinators. Walk along the north side of Wigmore Street until you reach Wigmore Place. Walk right to the end of this street until you reach a short alleyway to the left. So Wigmore Place is a typical Muse Street. Um, I don't know if you know what a Muse is, but effectively this used to be um, a stabling area um, at the back of grand townhouses. And obviously um, there is now a possibility to repurpose those areas. So these streets are effectively um, what used to be those stabling areas um, and again they're seen as quite a typical London street um, it's sort of one of the things that London is perhaps most famous for a lot of new streets are very attractive and um, they're places that people are interested in and want to visit in this part of London a lot of the um, buildings here are um, part of the Howard de Walden estate so this is a, a family whose ties go right ties to Marylebone go right back to the 18th century so um, they have a large degree of control over what happens here so that's um, interesting because they, there's an opportunity to, to do things in these areas which maybe are less um, possible in areas with more disjointed sort of ownership arrangements so this estate has been working with um, residents here and businesses that are located here um, to try and create a greener and more pleasant environment so the street's actually part of a a project called Wild West End, which tries to encourage like bees, birds and bats um, back to this particular part of London. So it's a project that's been ongoing for a few years now. And this street was seen as a good opportunity to introduce lots of flowering plants, um, which would attract pollinators and other um, insects and, and, and local wildlife to the area. So um, introducing hanging baskets, planters, and planting lavender, agapanthus, various grasses, other flowering plants, hopefully will increase the amount of um, insects and pollinators to this area. And again, the idea is that maybe we start off with a project, but then residents and tenants actually add their own aspects to it and maybe and continue the, the initiative. So this is a bit of a problem with sustainability projects where you sort of have a big project, but then over time maybe it slightly unravels and we, we don't get the same sort of level of effect. So it's important that we think about not just making these investments or having a, a new project, but how we actually sustain improvements. And again, there is evidence here of um, some relatively unsustainable features and facilities. So if you look carefully you might be able to see in some of the tree pits, it's actually AstroTurf there, which again, it almost seems like the antithesis of a wilder, greener street. So we're not saying this is the sort of perfect example of, uh, of urban greening, but at least there has been some attempt to, to try and think about um, greening uh, uh, a relatively grey street. If you walk right to the end of this muse and look to the left, there's a lovely, there's a lovely little corner which has been really beautifully planted. Uh, and that's almost uh, 
the best example here of um, making a grey urban environment green. Stop 9, Cavendish Square. The theme here is green roofs and urban trees. Turn left out of Wigmore Place and continue east along the south side of Wigmore Street to Cavendish Square. So this is a really interesting garden square. So very unlike the previous square we looked at, Manchester Square, there's no um, railings here preventing access. So it is publicly accessible to all, even if there are some quite strict behavioural controls. So again, there's lots of people who worry that maybe some of our public spaces are a little bit over-regulated. So in this particular example, you're not allowed to drink alcohol, ball games are banned, playing music is banned. So as although it's accessible, there is a possibility that behaviour is overly controlled and that might reduce conviviality and, and introduce a degree of exclusivity. But the main reasons we wanted to um, show you or tell you about this square is, um, well, there are three main reasons. Firstly, it's interesting that there's a car park buried beneath this square. So effectively, this green space is a green roof because there's some subterranean facilities here. So we can combine sort of car parking with green space rather than having car parking instead of a green space. So there are plans to maybe redevelop this subterranean environment here. So um, we may be that in the future, hopefully, we will need fewer car parks and we can actually do other things with um, these spaces. The second reason this square is interesting or this garden square is interesting um, is because of the multiple tr plane trees which are here. So these are really typical features of London and they're really sort of almost become a and become iconic in London. And these have been planted in the city since the 17th century. And the reason they're so prevalent in London, or one of the reasons, is because they're really good at handling um, variable weather conditions, but also variable levels of pollution. So they have quite a clever sort of ecological system whereby they absorb hazardous waste, but then almost get rid of that through this sort of flaking of, of the bark. So it allows these trees to withstand... Um, relatively polluted environments, which other urban trees might find um, might find difficult. So the, the London Plain is a really interesting feature of London. Again, we need to look after our street trees, and we need to make sure we um, obviously have ideally have would have more street trees, but at the very least, we need to look after the ones that that we've got. The final reason this square is interesting is because at the very centre of the circular layout. There's a plinth, and if you look carefully, there's no statue on the plinth. So there did used to be a statue here, and it was a statue of the Duke of Cumberland. And he was infamous because he was quite a brutal military figure, and um, the Scottish troops in the Battle of Culloden suffered at his hands. So um, obviously for, to try and keep a, a unified nation and union, and um, the statue was removed in 1868. And there was a really interesting piece of public art that was introduced here in 2012. So an artist made a replica of the original statue out of soap. And then obviously over the next few weeks and months that disintegrated and that was meant to reflect both the demise of the Duke's reputation but also the new memorial inclusivity of Cavendish Square. Stop 10, 
309 Regent Street. The theme here is heritage, refurbishing and retrofitting. Leave Cavendish Square by walking along Margaret Street until you reach Regent Street. Turn left along Regent Street until you reach number 309. So this building, 309 Regent Street, has hosted um, important educational institutions since 1838. So this is the site where the original Polytechnic Institution opened. And this was a very forward-thinking institution which um, aimed to demonstrate new technologies and um, basically increase public understanding and reassure the public really about new inventions. So it's apt now that the Polytechnic Institution has morphed into the University of Westminster and the university still tries to advance public education, including a better understanding of sustainable cities. The building's quite historic. It's got a really interesting um, interior. And I suppose that really highlights the importance of conserving and refurbishing and retrofitting older buildings rather than demolishing them. So we really know now that construction is one of the most carbon-intensive processes. So it's really important that we try and demolish fewer buildings and make sure that new development um, reuses existing buildings rather than rebuilding them from scratch. So just off our tour route, actually, is the um, Marks and Spencer's department store on the corner of Baker Street and Oxford Street. And again, that's a really interesting example of a building. If you, if you want to go there, you can have a look at that building. The, there have been various uh, attempts to demolish that building and replace it. Um, but that, at the moment, that is being prevented by um, various planning regulations. And what's interesting is that for the first time, or one of the first, this is one of the first occasions where embodied carbon is being used as a reason to turn down this application to demolish the building. So it's quite a pivotal, hopefully a pivotal example of whereby you know, developers are being prevented from demolition because of the problems we're currently facing and the, the embodied carbon that effectively contained within that, that existing structure. Here we've got at 309 Regent Street, we've got a historic building and these buildings can be quite difficult to, um, to adapt. So we, need, we know we need more energy efficient systems in buildings, but obviously older buildings are sometimes difficult to, to convert so especially where we've got a historic interior that needs to be conserved. So a lot of buildings like this one, which were built pre-1919, have solid and not cavity walls. And those sorts of walls tend to heat up and cool down more slowly than modern structures. So there are difficulties um, making these buildings energy efficient. So what we're looking for maybe is a more responsible approach a retrofitting where we try and reduce the amount of energy that these buildings are using but whilst you know maintaining the, the heritage of the of, of the building so we're trying to reduce heat loss that's one way of doing it but also maybe we can think about using more natural forms of ventilation so if we can lessen the need for energy intensive heating and energy intensive air conditioning that can also improve the environmental performance of the building Thank you for listening. From Open City and the On Demand audio team, goodbye.